Hey, it's Shane here. Throughout the majority of my career, I spent thousands of hours on my technique to try to be as close to perfect as I could be. But the one thing I didn't work on was my mental skills. On the exact mindset I needed every ball to be able to access all of my technical skills that I worked so hard to develop. Well, I've recently released my book, Winning the Inner Battle, which has all of the information that you will ever need to deeply understand how you can create the correct mindset for you so that you can bring the best version of yourself every time you step out into the middle. Go to shamewatson.au to purchase a copy of Winning the Inner Battle now. It is available in paperback, ebook, or audiobook versions. Well, it's now time for your episode of Lessons Learned with the Greats. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Shane Watson, and welcome to Lessons Learned with the Greats. This is part two of my chat, where the shoe is on the other foot, with Aussie legend Mike Hussey interviewing me. So here it is. I hope you enjoy my insights. Let, let's move on now to the mental side of the game. And I want to ask, like, how important do you think mental skills are in cricket? And, and I guess what techniques did you use to be in a frame of mind to help you play your best cricket? <laughs> um, as, as important, Why is that so funny? <laughs> because as important as technical skills are to be able to develop your technical aspect, which is if you don't have the skills, the technical skills, then you've got no chance of – you haven't got a great chance of being able to consistently perform or play well against you know, the best players. As important as the technical side of things is, the mental skills are as important. And I did not realize up until probably five years ago how incredibly important those mental skills are to be able to unlock all of the skills that you've got that you work so hard to be able to develop. So I like in the end, I was look, I was very fortunate to come through um Australian cricket, even you know, in the um you know, Queensland under 17s, under 19s, the sort of the, the state teams, there was always uh, psychologists around. And, and Phil Jaunty was someone, a sports psychologist who was around the Queensland sort of setup, who who gave some great, definitely some great insights. You do a bit of like psychometric testing around what kind of personality type you were, which, which was great. There's no question. But the thing that I suppose I look back now, I wish I knew why you do things, like deep down why you do it. Like, yeah, you've got an understanding of what the profiling was and just do that. Cause that's, that's for you to, that's you at your best. I'm like, yeah, but exactly why would, why do I do that? Why would I go there and not exactly here? So I suppose over my whole career, I was always so technically driven that if I made a mistake, if I, and got out, I would just, the coaches, cause that's what coaches talk to you about is cause that's what they see is, Oh, that boy, you're slightly back off the ball you're getting like, that's the reason why I got beaten on the inside LB or you nicked off because you just weren't closing off your face. Um, you weren't closing off your front shoulder. So, you know, that's why you got, you got caught behind. So the, that's what coaches can see, but coaches never asked me and I never, I never asked myself as well. So I'm not blame just, I'm not certainly not blaming them. I never asked myself as well as where was my mind at? Like right at that moment, as I got out, where was my mind at in the lead up to that ball? Like, the previous couple of overs and also where was my mind at in the lead up to the game? Was I worried? Was I burning mental energy? Because the thing that I realized after being educated finally, and you know, you and I've been educated around from this, from the same, the, the same guru, um, Dr. Jacques Delaire is understanding that your, your, your mind is a, your brain is, it's a muscle and it's only got a certain amount of energy. 
So for you to be at your best consistently, and especially as a batsman, to be able to, your instincts have to be super crisp and like right on to be able to be to be able to react correctly to every ball that's coming down as well as you can. If my if I've burnt out the energy in my mind because I've been worrying, I've been thinking about what might happen. I'm I'm focused like I'm right on when I shouldn't be <laughs> I shouldn't be on, um, and I'm burning through this mental energy that then I'm, there's a really good chance, which there's a really good chance you're going to make a mistake. You're going to make a technical mistake or an um, instinctive mistake because your brain's just gone, hang on, I've got no energy left. You just, you just burned through that way too early. Um, and that's one thing that I'd look back at my test career, for example, gosh, I was really good at getting to, you know, 30 to 50 because I was on the whole time. I was mentally charged. I was focused even at the non-strikers end. I was mentally, I was focused when I should have been totally chilling (laughs) in between balls. I should have been chilling. Um, but I was on the whole time. That's why I just, I'd make mistakes. I'd get out and go, geez, you're weak. Like weak as, I was weak as piss. Had like, you lost concentration. You got out there and that, and then I just beat myself up and then it just continued to get worse and worse. Every game I'd go into, you got to, you got to concentrate today. And instead of going, you know what? Have the strategy of going. I need to be on as the ball bowls running in. Then I need to. Then I need to pull back. <laughs> I need to be on. Non-strikers in. I need to conserve my mental energy. So that was something that I wish I knew about. No one, and I never asked the right questions. I never asked the right questions of you. I never asked the right questions of Ricky or Matt Hayden or all the best players that were that, were, that I play. I was so fortunate to play with. I never asked those questions. I just thought that you know you work that you just you build a certain way and that's just how you are. I wish I did because it wasn't, as I said, it wasn't until I got educated by um, Jacques Delaire where I actually really deeply understood how to do it. And now when I'm playing for the last sort of four or five years, really, I know what mental space I'm chasing every single ball. So once I've, once I really, once I've defined what the best version of me looks like, like really deeply defining that best version of me, then I know what I'm chasing every ball, what I'm chasing every time I go out to play. I understand that the mental energy, I can't burn it up. I can't burn it up in the lead up to the game. I can't burn it up as the game, like until I really need my skills to be able to execute my skills. So those few things, I, w- I, wish, I wish I knew, I didn't, but you don't know what you don't know until, until you're educated and you know it. So, um, so that was really can, can the thing. I just want to unpack that a little bit further. So, <laughs> so you're talking about burning that mental energy early in your, earlier in your career and you figured mm. out probably what, five, whatever many years ago, mm. how, you know, just to switch off. So, so what did you do when you switched off? What were you thinking about or saying to yourself then? And then how did you switch yourself back on when you needed to? My technique to be able to switch off is get a song in my head. I, like Glenn McGray used to say to me, I've got a song, like, I've got a song in my head that I sing like I'm down at, I'm down at fine leg and I've got a song in my head. And then I'll go up to, you know, go up to the, to bowl the start first ball I'm over. I've got a song in my head and I know what I'm, I'm not, I know what balls I'm going to bowl during that over. I'm like, okay, wow. And then um, Michael Clark would say the same thing. I've got a song in my head. He listened to music before he went to bat and then he'd go, yeah, I just, I just got a song in my head. I'm like, I didn't ask why. It's like, why? What, why have you got a song in your head? And it wasn't until I asked, <laughs> I asked an expert, <laughs> Jacques, I said, why would someone have a song in their head? He goes, well, that just puts your brain on neutral. 
So you're not, you're not burning any extra mental energy whatsoever. You've got one thought in your mind, which is what meditation is. Meditation is just having one thought in your mind, whether that's breathing, whether that's focused on uh, a mantra, so like um, transcendental meditation is, whether it's looking at a flame you're putting your mind on neutral. So you're not burning any extra necessary, like extra mental energy. So (laughs) yeah. So now sometimes there's a song that's around the ground that automatically just pops in. I don't even think about it. And I've got a song on my head. Whereas a lot of, a lot of other times that doesn't. So now, because I need it to be able to not burn any extra mental energy. I jam that song in my mind. (laughs) And I just keep, (laughs) I keep, I keep getting that song on my head. I keep forcing it in because I know that's what I need to do to be my best. So I'm not burning any extra mental energy. So then when I need to react to the best of my ability, I need to um, trust my intuition of what's potentially coming down, what the right time is to be able to go um, in the game. All those things are a lot clearer and a lot more decisive and a lot more spot on with my decision-making. It's, it's funny because I've heard a number of different people talk about different things. So some listening to something to help them switch off and, and focus literally just on that one thing of the music. I've heard of other people looking at something, whether it be a sign in the ground or literally, I think Jacques Callis used to look at a blade of grass at times. So his whole concentration was just looking at a piece, a blade of grass. Someone else I've, I've heard would be smelling things where there's you know, a barbecue going at the ground and that's their way to, um, to, to sort of switch off and, as you say, keep their mind in neutral. But what about when you need to come back on, how did you, what routine did you use to get yourself back on at the right uh, time? And, well, I suppose that's where it comes back to my, my routine um, and, my, and my technical and mental routine. So that's where it would just be, okay, um, now's as the bowl's like sort of going to the top of the mark, okay, then my technical sort of routine and checklist would, I'd go through. Um, and that's, you know, my, my, the route, one routine was, is just my, like adjusting the back, my, my back pad. So that was, that's one, but then it's like, okay, as the ball is about to start running in eyes level, uh, making sure front shoulder strong, like the press is right. So that's when it just starts to come in. And then most importantly, yes, the technical checklist is really important, but then as the ball's bowled, it wasn't until I went through a, a really a tough patch, um, because I started to have, you know, the fear of the fear of the ball hurting me. Um, came into my game where I realized, and again, being educated by, by Jacques um, around that your mind can actively only process one thought at a time. So I was at that time, I was allowing space to come into my mind. I was like, I watched the ball. And then as the ball's bowled, the board come out and automatically the, the thought would come into mind short ball, which as a cricketer, that as a batsman, that's bad <laughs> because one, you're really slow. You're trying to consciously play the short ball, which it's totally, it's a totally instinctive shot. You have to naturally react to react fast enough to be able to play it well. But then if it's, if it's not a short ball, you're out of position, <laughs> you're out of position anyway. So, um, so then the, I understood that you can only actively process one thought at a time. So I just made sure that the routine as well is putting the right thing into my mind as the ball's about to come out, like at the right time, I just, again, jam the right thought in my mind. And for me, it's aggressive. Because aggressive for me is making sure I'm intense. I'm I'm um, I'm intense. I'm I'm ready to move. Um, so that's the aggressive. It's not aggressive, as in aggressive. I'm going to launch this totally out of the ground. It's aggressive to be like right on and be sharp. So that's the technique that I use to you know the routine, the lead up to the ball being bold, and then understanding that really simple rule of your mind can actively only process one thought at a time. Making sure that as the ball's bold. I'm throwing in at the right time, the right thought for me. Cause no doubt 
well, for me, even when someone's bowling, someone is bowling fast, I still get a bit because of, um, you know, the tragic circumstances that sort of have you know, happened is I still get, I do when someone's bowling fast, I get a little bit anxious. There's no question, but I know now how to deal with, it. I know how to put the right thing in my mind. So it does not affect my performance whatsoever. Yeah. So that's just, you know, what, the, the routine, the, the technique, I suppose, I've learned to be able to switch back on after the song that's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, and, and your word aggressive, that, that obviously works for you um, yep. and for other people out there that I guess they've got to figure out what their word might be. So, so for me, I like to be really calm at the crease and, and just as that ball lets go, it's just clear mind, see that ball and just react and let your instincts take over. And, and that worked for me, but for other people, it might be different. Just, just yep. one more question. And, and, if you don't feel like answering it, I, I totally respect it as well. I, obviously you alluded to that tragic time when Phil Hughes passed away after getting hit in the head and it affected a lot of people. And, and you've spoken openly and publicly about how much it affected you. What, what advice would you give to other people out there that do have a genuine fear about getting hurt or, or, or with a short ball? How, how would you deal with that? Yeah. Um, look, yeah, there's, there's no question of that, um, you know, such a tragic event. And that was, you know, the time where, um, I suppose the innocence of the game of cricket for me just disappeared. Um, you know, I always thought you could get, you could get hurt. Of course, if you got in a bad position, you could break your fingers, you break your arm, you could get, you know, the ball goes through your helmet, you could get, you know, a fracture or potentially get knocked out, but never in anyone's any thought, did you ever think that a ball could actually, you know, tragically kill you? So, um, look, there's no question that had a, you know, a, a big effect on my ability to be able to play fast bowling from, from that moment on, because, you know, I thought every ball potentially, um, could, you know, could, um, do the similar thing. Um, mm. and the way that I sort of broke it down to be able to sort of work through that, because it was, you know, my performance is totally spiraled because especially against fast bowling, um, was, just a, a couple of things. One was put it into perspective, even though like you can't, it, you can't put that a tragic event like that into perspective in a way, but the perspective was more so, okay, how many balls have been bowled to be able to, um, for that tragic event to happen? How many balls have bowled? Has that happened before? And like, well, no, not that I, not, not that I know of. Yeah. And so how yeah. many balls are bowled up to that point? Well, yeah, billions of balls, right? So the chances, the chance of that tragic event happening again is, is remote. You know, it is, it's still, it's so hard to think that that's, you know, that that happened. Um, mm. And, but, and then it was like, okay, well, I need to make sure that then the understanding of that, that rule of you, your mind can only actively process one thing at a time. So I just, I know that if I put the right thing into my mind, and as you said, like everyone's got a different, a different thing. Like for me, it's aggressive. Some people um, is now or watch the ball as the ball comes out. So everyone's got their different thing, but it's just understanding, even if you're feeling a bit anxious or you're feeling a bit sort of not, not comfortable, it's just, that doesn't mean that it, that you have to be affected your, the way you play that ball has to be affected by how you feel. So that's why putting the right thing into your mind, because again, the short ball is a totally instinctive shot. Again, if I try and see it and then play it, like consciously try and play it, I'm way behind the ball. It's going to hit my bat before I can move. So it has to be totally instinctive. So you need to have the right thing in your mind to be able to react quickly. But the other thing was I had to go back to learning how to play the short ball again, to make, make sure my technique was right. And also, and that built my confidence that I was going to get into a good position to be able to react really well. 
So that's where I just broke it down to, you know, how we, how we learn how to play the short ball in the academy, <laughs> which is, yeah, right. yeah, getting like starting off slow with tennis balls and that, but then it got to a point where you're getting, you're getting peppered by the, like by guys throwing the balls at you and you just got to, you got to react. You got to, you know, retrain that skill, getting into the right position, um, you know, and all those technical components. So that was, that was a retraining of, of, and getting over that, that fear that, we all, we all had like, it's only human nature that it's going to, it's going to affect you because that should never have happened. It should never happen on the career field. Yeah. It was unbelievable and and beggars belief, but uh, Mm. we've spoken a lot about stuff that happens on the field. Now now let's sort of get off the field and change tact a little bit. And And I want to ask you about the media and how you dealt with the media. And I guess looking back now, would you have handled the distraction of the media any differently? And I guess what lessons have you learned from dealing with the media throughout your career? Yeah, I learned, like, I learned a lot of lessons. Um, the one thing, well, a couple of things. One is I definitely would have got to know the, um, gone out of my way to get to know the journalists a lot, a lot better. Um, I sort of shut myself off. And because there's that, um, you've got a media manager now that sort of is the, is the gatekeeper in a way between you and the, and the journalists. And it just meant that things do become impersonal. Yeah. There's a relationship. There's no real relationship there a lot of the time. So then when a journalist is writing an article on you, especially a negative one, if they don't know you, there's more chance of them going a little bit harder. And, and because, yeah. you know, they're, they're very, they're very, you know, in, they're very creative writers and, you know, great, great writers. They know, you know, one or two words here and there can make a big difference to the tone of the, <laughs> the tone of the article. So, um, so if I had my time again, I would have definitely gone out of my way to get to know the journalists a lot, like right at the start of my career all the way through and built relationships. So of course they've got to write, they're writing the truth. That's absolutely fine. But there's a difference between writing the truth and having real personal digs. And if you know someone personally, you've got less chance of that happening. So um, I would have done that um, early on. And also that comes down to the commentators as well. I wish I got to know the commentators a lot better. One, because of their knowledge of the game. Like even something as simple as um, one of the episodes has been with Ian Chappell. And that was the first time I've really sat down and talked to him about cricket. Wow. What, what, a, what an incredible resource. I'd look back and go, why the hell didn't I tap into that when I was playing? Like in the early days and while I was playing, well, what, why? But then you, one, you're learning, but also you're building more of a personal connection. So people, again, what they say, they could tone it down a tiny bit because in the end, the public who are watching the game, who are watching it or reading in the paper, they're believing what they listen to by the commentators or what they read to go, oh yeah, that guy, he, yeah. He is, a bit, he is soft. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. God, there's something wrong with him. So that's, that definitely, I would have, I would have done that differently. No question whatsoever. But the other thing is around the media. Like the only way I could deal with it was not read it. And might like some people that I know read everything, read everything. And they want to read everything. One, to be able to know what's going on, what's being said about them, all that sort of thing. But for me, I didn't read it because I didn't want, whatever was out there, whether it was positive or negative, I didn't want to read the real positive stuff because then you build yourself up to bigger than what you are and you just, <laughs> you get carried away with yourself, right? Um, yeah. But then on the, the other flip side of that was even if, when you're not going that well, by reading some articles or listening to what some people say about your, about your you're not performing that well, gosh, that, that makes you go much lower than what you really should as well. So for me, not reading it meant that I was able to just 
block out that as much as I possibly could. Yet the, you always, if there's a, a negative article, especially written about you, it would somehow filter back to you <laughs> in some way, whether it's from family or friends or next pre- press conference you do, someone asks you about it. But that was my way of being able to just really stay um, focused on where I, where I was at personally, look myself in the mirror and be really honest with where I was at and understand yeah. if I was going through a time where I wasn't scoring that many runs, don't dig myself into a deeper hole because I'm reading articles or reading things on people commenting that, yeah, I'm, I should be dropped or I'm junk or whatever it is. Just realize yeah. that cut all that stuff out. And that was you know, the best way for me to deal with it. Everyone's got different techniques, but that's what sort of, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't change that because that was a way to be able to try and stay as even as you possibly could when things were going great or when they weren't going well. And would it be a similar philosophy you'd use for the, for the young guys coming through today? They've got the different challenges of social media. Um, would you have any advice for those young guys coming through in respect to how they deal with social media? Cause that can be pretty brutal at times as well. Yeah. Look, no question. And I've only really started to dig deeper into the social media reading notifications and comments over the last sort of four months uh, six months really um, because of uh, T20 stars, um, you know, building, building a bit more of a community with T20 stars and connecting with people more. And the, there's no, there's no question that like how I deal with things now are different. I don't let it affect me like at all, like real only a tiny bit now. And if there's a way to be able to sort of just make light of a situation or sort of get people. So there's a, a more of a personal connection there because you reply um, at times, if you really feel it's needed, then people are less chance of just then flying off again, unless, you know, there's some people who are just not going to be happy with you anyway, and that's fine. But, um, <laughs> but so that's the only, you know, the, that's the only time I've really started to do that because yeah, I'm, I'm building a different sort of community with, I feel and connecting with people more because I have been so shut off. So I would definitely recommend that people should not read notifications. Of course, use social media um, in a way to be able to get people to understand who you are and how you are outside of just on the cricket field, because that's one, that is one of the challenges us as you know, all too well as well is people only, they make judgment on who you are as a person on the cricket field a lot of the time. Cause that's all they see a lot of the time. Yeah. So they think that because I'm aggressive, like on the field and I'm combative and I'm like, I'm getting in the contest. They, like some people think at times that that's how I am walking down the street. <laughs> that I'm just trying to pick a fight and go <laughs> and an argument walking down the street. That's not how I am at all, but in survival mode. Yeah, of course that's how I am. But yeah. um, so that's where social media is a way for people to be able to show the other side of them, of them. So people get more of an understanding that, you know what, I'm not, I, how I'm in the field is not exactly how I am all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, but reading this, the comments and that you've got to, you've got to not read it. You've got, you, you can't. Because it's too, it's too brutal. It's too brutal. And before you know it, you're reading those and you start, you, in time, you might be starting to believe it and you're just digging a much deeper hole for you to be able to then try and climb yourself out of. Yeah, it's good advice. Um, moving on, an aspect of life, I guess, that I wish I was educated more in was dealing with finances and, and how to manage my money. What lessons have you learned along the way? And, and I guess, did you have any help along the way and in, in how you invested your money or in, or in how you managed your money? So I wish I talked to you, one, I wish I talked to you more about it because you, you had a really good setup. You got the right person to be able to, you know, give you the right, you know, the good, really sound advice. Um, and that's, you know, that was a, a great thing. Again, that's why I wish I asked more questions <laughs> of people that I played with and, and not made the mistakes that I did. Look, I, I'd made 
a, a lot of mistakes when it comes to the financial side of things. Um, and uh, from what I know now and educated myself in, look, there's a couple of really obvious mistakes that, that I made. One is, um, I, well, I just never found a really good person to be able to give me really sound advice. As in, uh, just about every, well, every person that I'd, I was around, a lot of the time, they were, they were opportunistic. It was, yep, they'd recommend me something, but they're recommending me something because it's something in it for them. <laughs> yeah. um, instead of it just being genuinely, I really believe this is the right thing because this is, this is, this is what it is and educate me around it as well. Like really. And um, so when it comes to like, I wish if I had my time again, I would have never got, I would never have got a loan apart from like the first loan that I ever got was for my first apartment that I was fortunate enough to buy. And, and again, I, I don't want to talk too much about, I know I'm inc- I've been incredibly lucky from a young age to come through at a time of Australian cricket when I've been able to, you know, make, like I've been, I've come along when there's a lot of money in the game of cricket. So I definitely, I'm not going to talk too much about like all those, like how much I've earned or that sort of thing, because I know I'm incredibly lucky, but I'll just talk about the first apartment. It was, I got a loan to be able to pay that off. It was in Hobart. It was only like, it was $290,000, the apartment. Um, and mum and dad also always instilled in me, don't buy, like, don't buy a new car and like, don't buy a flash car until you paid off your first house. So yep. I paid off my first apartment. Yes. Again, I know I was incredibly lucky to come along at the time where I was able to pay that off fairly quickly. Um, and it wasn't until I paid that off, then I bought, I bought a, a, a new car. Uh, in, even when I was playing for, for Australia and Queensland, I was driving around and Tassie, um, my Mazda three two three eighty six model, which I loved. It's a little beast. <laughs> Great sound system in it. <laughs> so, so that. Um, but then, from then on, then I started to get loans because I had the earning capacity. I was for, so fortunate to have the earning capacity. I could get access to loans, like big loans and good loans. So I was like, oh well, yeah, I can afford that. Well, I can get a loan for that house. So yeah, I'll get it. And, and then as it stepped up, as I, my earning capacity increased, I was like, oh yeah, well, gosh, the bank will give me money. I can go and get that house as well before it actually earned the money. And again, I wish if I had my time again, I would have earned the money and then bought, and then bought a house or bought, yeah, bought a house because over the last, from my time up until probably like three or four years ago, I play, I paid a lot of money in interest to banks. I was one of the reasons why their share price kept going up. <laughs> <laughs> because, because that was the advice I was getting. Yeah, you can get, you can get a loan for that. Like, gosh, you look at your equity and your, your earning capacity. Yeah, of course. Oh yeah, of course. Well, someone's getting a kickback from me for recommending me getting a loan. One, people get kickbacks to go, yeah, you can get that, that facility. And I've got a contact here, bang, um, a bit of commission for them. And then two, I'm paying a percent, like a decent percent. Now the like interest rates are really low. So money is cheaper, but still, I was paying six, 7% on the loan that I had um, because I didn't have the, you know, the funds to be able to do it. So gosh, if like that extra money that I paid the banks, if I just waited longer and earned that money before then I got, before then I bought something, gosh. Yeah. And that's because that's after tax dollars that you're paying in interest as well. Mm, yeah. Anyway, so you live and learn, Husses. The other thing <laughs> is around investment. So um, I wish I educated myself more around just the, the share market. So, um, my experience was I, I had a, um, a financial advisor when I moved to Brisbane who put me into a managed fund and I had a managed fund of, and I'll be, I'll be honest with the amount of money. Um, it was two is I 
contributed 250,000 and then I got a margin loan for 250,000. So in the end, I'd invested 500 grand into the stock market, right? So then 500 grand for the next couple of years, because I invested that in, I think 2004. Yep. Yeah. 2004, 2005. It went really well. The stock market went really well for the next sort of like two or three years. It, it went up to like 750 grand or something like that, right? It went up. It was going up. I was like, okay, wow, this stock market's amazing. <laughs> and then GFC came along, Kapowie. <laughs> that went way down. And it went down to a point where I got a margin call from the bank to say, yeah. you need to top these funds up because your funds, your share portfolio now is worth, it was worth like 370 grand. Way right. under what your what um what you'd paid, so margin loan yeah. you got to top this up. So please give us some money to be able to top it up to a threshold that we're happy with. I was like, oh, it's not good. Okay, so <laughs> from that moment on, because I was not educated in the share market whatsoever, to seeing how volatile that was to go from there to there, I was like, as soon as my money gets back up to parity, so like I I, I get out without losing a cent, I'm out. Right. So as soon as it got up to um, what it was, the 500 grand, I pulled all my money out. What a moron. <laughs> right now I just, I read, I, you know, I've read a lot of books now on, on investing and, and techniques about it that, that you use. And one is you're in it for the long haul. Don't get emotional around, especially when things go down. When things go down, that's actually, if you've got funds available, that's a time to buy <laughs> because things are on sale. Everything's on, like most things are on sale. So, um, so if I kept my if I kept my funds in over the next from that was two thousand and eight through to what it was now that that five that five hundred grand that I initially invested would have been worth it, oh gosh with compound interest and everything like that if I kept the the dividends and that um, reinvesting uh, it's at least a couple of mil right so and it any anyway that's just that's part of my lessons that I learned to go you know what I needed to educate myself enough in these areas even if it was a, my financial advisor who it was to be able to just ride through those waves a bit more and realize it's a long game yeah. to be able to make the most of compound interest as Warren Buffett talks about, which is one of the most powerful things in the world, compound interest. It's the, it's the long haul. It's not, if it goes up and down, that's, it happens, but it's the long, it's 20 years, it's 30 years. That's where you, you generate your wealth. So um, yeah, that's what, that's what I learned. And I know like specific, it's more specific numbers. I'm not sure if my wife, Lee might not like those exact specific numbers, but um, look, it's better to be able to be really honest. So people get a real understanding of how, how it worked and the reason why I made the mistakes that I did and be, and a lot of it came down to just not educating myself enough, enough, not asking enough questions of experts who are in it for the right, in it for your, like just giving you the right advice, not in it because there's a clip that there's a little commission that they're going to get for directing you in a certain way. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great advice and great lessons unless you, that you've learned. I wanted to ask you that about, you spoke about people advising you, a lot of them being opportunistic themselves. <laughs> so your advice to people out there, because it is hard, you know, to, to learn all that stuff, it takes a long time to, to get a deep understanding of, of how mm. to manage your money properly. You do need some help along the way. So how would you differentiate someone that is opportunistic or someone that you know that you can really trust? Cause, cause that can't be an easy thing to do yeah. either. No, it's super hard. There's no, there's no doubt. It's, it's hard to, because you don't know exactly why people, what, you know, the reasons why people are in it for, you know, a lot, a lot of the time. So um, it, it is very difficult. Um, but I suppose educating yourself enough is a, is an amazing starting point because then you know what questions to ask to be able to, 
work out whether someone's in it for the right reasons or not. So yeah. one of the best books that I've read from a financial perspective, and this is in and around the Australian market, but it, it, it's across the board as well, is um, The Barefoot Investor, Scott Pape. Mm. It's amazing because yeah. it really just, in layman's terms, break down, breaks down where you get screwed over yeah. and how to be able to navigate your way through and ask the right questions. So I'd say that's probably the, the best way is to be able to educate yourself enough. You don't have to go to university to be able to have a like financial advising degree or you know, become a stockbroker to be understand you know, what it is or be involved in private equity. It's just educating yourself enough, finding the right books to be able to educate yourself enough so you can ask the right questions so you can see through the people who the opportunistic people who are there for the wrong reasons. And you'll, yeah. you'll find out a lot quicker, which is what I do now. I find out quicker. I still make mistakes. I've still made mistakes even, you know, over the last couple of years, but I, I, I know which questions to ask to be able to see through people more. Yeah. No, I've read those, uh, his book as well. Plus he does a great one for families, families. as well. Um, so you know, good. For teaching kids about money and, and how to, how to sort of use it and respect it, I guess. So yeah, great, great tip there. Moving on, you know, you've been involved in various business interests you know, generally during the, the latter part of your career. Mm. Can you tell us about some of those and, and some of the takeaway lessons about being involved in business outside cricket? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I've been, um, in, I, look, I find business absolutely fascinating. I, I do because it's so, it's, it's so vast. There's so like, there's so many opportunities out there um, that like there is. And I find it, I, I do find it absolutely fascinating. Um and that's why, like I right now, I'm, that's the learning phase. I'm in. I'm listening to as many. I'm trying to meet as many like entrepreneurs and business people as I can, and listen to podcasts. Like at the moment, you know, and I have for a long period of time over the last couple of years, listening to one podcast in particular from business, which I find it's just the best. Every episode that comes up, I'm I need to listen to it now. Is um, how I built this um, by Guy Raz, R R A Z. Um, he interviews. He interviews like so many of the, the biggest startups and biggest businesses in the world, the, the founders, um, whether it's, um, gosh, like, um, Instagram or, um, Airbnb or <laughs> there's, there's like this, there's, there's so many like Spotify, um, Shopify, um, or, um, Square, uh, yeah, there's just, there's so many It's endless, but it's, he, he digs in deep as well. It's not just the fluffy questions. It's like digging in deep about their, their, um, their process and their, their journey. So I find that fascinating to be able to learn. But I suppose the one thing that more than anything that I um, have realized is I'm, I, mean, I invested in businesses where I was a passive investor. So um, one in particular was um, an F45 business in India, which was fairly recently. Um, and I was very passive as in, I wasn't really, I tr- I trusted a few people who were, who were doing all the, like the financial side of things and the, the operation side of things. I was hands off. I, um, and it was a decent investment that, um, you know, I was in there with Brett Lee as well. And within nine, nine months, it got to a stage where it, it was an absolute basket case within nine months. <laughs> that's not that long. And it, because of certain things that had slipped through the cracks and again, I was two hands off. I should have within the first couple of months asked the right questions, wanted to see the financials, wanted to see where things are at, like really get deeper into it. But because I was, you know, we I was building another business as well, um, beyond the mental skills business. Um, 
was, I was hands off as more passive investment and mm. I got burnt massively because it got to a stage where it was way too far gone because of decisions that were made in and around the business, which were in the end, which weren't, it worked out to be bad decisions at that time. And because I was so hands off, it just got to a point where it was like, well, this is a, <laughs> a sandwich is full of something that you don't want to eat. <laughs> 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 and this is where it's at. How are we getting out of it? I'm like, wow, that's a shocking result. So in the end, it, what, it's, what it's made me realize is one, if you're going to invest in your business, especially unless you've got someone who you trust and you know is an absolute gun and is super detailed and super particular on every detail of the business, don't get involved in it. Don't put your money in there, especially because there's a really good chance you're going to lose it. So now with the business that I've, um, that I've got, one's Beyond Performance, which is a mental skills performance business, and then moving on to T20 Stars, it's pulling it all back. So um, I'm, the one who's ru- I'm the one who's running it. I'm deep involved. I'm involved in every single aspect of the business. One, because I want to learn about every aspect. I want to know how to be able to um, change things on my website. I want to be able to like upload videos into it. I want to be able to upload podcasts. I want to be able to upload my blogs. I want to know how to do that. So then if things go really well, I know what I'm looking for and I'm trying to source someone to do it for me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so I'm trying to, I'm learning every aspect of the business. So then I know what I'm looking for. Again, that's, I'm like, I'm only very much in the startup phase of, you know, of my business and businesses. Um, and it's, you know, it's, Who's, who knows what's going to happen as we never know what's going to, you know, what's going to happen. But um, yeah. from my experience alone, it is making sure that you are involved yourself, right? Deeply involved. And you've got your finger on the pulse and every single thing, because a lot of the time, if your hands off, things cracks will appear. And before you know it, it's nearly, it's just about too far gone and you've just got to suck, <laughs> suck it up. <laughs> right. What about, what about your profile? Has that helped or hindered you in business? <laughs> That's a good question, Huss. Um, it's helped me in a in a lot of ways. Um, the connections and the doors that I've been able to open, even just to be able to talk to people and get advice. Like I feel incredibly fortunate at times to be able to talk to some of the people that I've been fortunate to talk to about business because um yeah, you know, the connections that I've been fortunate enough to be able to get throughout, you know, throughout my career career. The downside of that is people have got an awareness because it's out in the public of my earning capacity. And there has been a couple of people and that I've, that have taken me for a ride because they go, well, we know you can, you, we know you can pay for that. We know you can, yeah. you can pay for that branding. We know you can do you. We know you can do that because, well, we've seen, we've seen that you've, you're on this contract or you're on that contract. And because I'm not, it's not until I really get my back pushed, like pushed up against the wall. I don't push back. So, um, and that's where Lee, my wife is a really good, um, she's a really good filter for me because she sees things a lot clearer than me at times. I, I do get, it's not until I really get pushed to the point, like to the edge where I then push back. But now because of a few situations where I've got exposed and got fleeced, I've got fleeced. There's opportunities have really taken advantage because they know, and I was too stupid to really understand there's other ways around it. For example, branding. All right, branding of Beyond Performance. <laughs> I paid a crazy amount. I'm not going to say exact amount, but I paid a crazy amount because I got recommended this company to be able to do branding. Yes, the branding was amazing. The journey, the two-day sort of um, 
branding exercise. It was, it was amazing. There's no question. The outcome was great, but you can do really good branding for a 20th of that cost and still get the same, a great result. But I didn't know, I didn't know any different. I didn't know there's other ways to be able to do like do branding and other people out there could do a great job, but be a 20th of the cost. Yeah. i got that advice for someone, you know, moved me into that space and I was like, oh, that's, I suppose that's just what you got to invest. Same with a website. <laughs> Websites. Oh yeah. They cost 20 grand to be able to build a like code one from scratch. <laughs> oh, this is what we'll do. Oh, okay. Great. If that's what you have to pay for it. Great. Oh, what about you can just go to Squarespace <laughs> or you can go to GoDaddy or you can, we can go to Wix and you can get someone to build a website. It costs you a couple of grand max. And then you can actually edit it yourself. If I educate you enough, you can edit it yourself. Wow. So those are the things that, yeah, it's hindered me because people have, have seen the opportunity, but now because of my experience experiences and the lessons that I've learned, yeah, I don't, I don't fall for that as much anymore. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing, really. And, and great advice too. What, what about um, life throws up so many challenges, so many ups and downs, and have you had a saying or a mantra that has sort of helped you bounce back from adversity? And, and can you give us an example of where you've had to use it? Mm. The first one is, is no regrets. Um, a PE teacher, uh, Mr. Charles at Ippy Grammar School, I was in, um, year, I was in year 12, and I was contemplating, I was weighing up whether I should stop playing rugby because I just was fully focused. I want to be fully, put all my energy outside of my schoolwork. I want to put all my energy on being the best cricketer I could be. And uh, Mr. Charles was a, was a super talented athlete at school. He went to Ipswich Grammar as well. Um, gun rugby player, gun cricketer. And he played both and he got injured playing rugby and that everything was done. And he said, you know what? The one thing that I've, I believe in my life is that you should have no regrets. So you know what? If you're going to have a crack at something, go all in. Yeah. Go all in, have no regrets. So I did. I was like, thanks. So that's how I've sort of lived my life. Live my life. If you're going to do something, just know that you've gone all in. And again, and, and I'm going to um, preface that by saying, go all in as in you got to make sure you give every opportunity to what you dream of or what your goals are as a, like, as a cricketer or as a whatever it is. But you need to make sure as an athlete that you – and the one thing that mum and dad instilled in me, which is the best thing that they, one of the best things they ever did was make sure they instilled that I had a great education. That as hard as I worked on my cricket, I worked as hard on my education as well, because that is the foundation of your whole life. So, so no regrets was definitely was one. And the other one is there's always a silver lining. And that's something that my mum instilled in me was there's always a reason why something happens. And you've just got to, sometimes it's hard to find the reason why it happens because it's a, <laughs> it's not good what's happened. The setback has just derailed you at a, at a time where you just don't want it to happen. But there's always a silver lining. So an example for me was 2005, six ashes. I got an opportunity to, I got picked in the first test match, super pumped. At that, at that, that time in my life, I was at my best. Bowl, I was bowling as well as I ever had. I was bowling quick, bowling well. I'm batting. I was on the top of my, at the top of my game. And I, got, I played um, WA in a shield game and I, I bowled really well. And then we played a one-day game just before we had to go to Brisbane um, to get ready for the test match. And I tweaked my hammy. And I was, like, and I was shattered. And then because I, I ended up um, you know, not being fit for the first test match and then trying to get back too quick, I, re- I re-injured my hamstring again. 
So in the end, I was totally out of the whole Ashes series. And then, you know, the guys who came in did incredibly well, who replaced me, Michael Clark and Andrew Simons did incredibly well because they are amazing players. And I missed my opportunity. And there was a time where I was like, why the hell, where's the silver lining with this? Like that, that's my dreams just being taken away. An opportunity has been taken away because of my injury. But, and it took me a couple of weeks at least to be able to really digest it. And for those couple of weeks, I was, I was nowhere. I locked myself into my apartment where I was staying at the time. I was, I was nowhere um, because I just couldn't go out into the world. I felt like I couldn't really go out into the world. And someone asked me, how's your hammy? Or what, what's wrong with it now? What's wrong with you now? Is your shoulder? Is it your hammy? Is it your back? Like, what, what is it? I couldn't handle it. So I locked myself in my, like really locked myself in my apartment, played me, played me guitar, played a lot of blues music, <laughs> a lot of very Clapton music. Um, and the silver lining to it was, you know what? There are a couple of little things that I need to work on my batting. So, you know what, as I come back, I just need to iron out a couple of little technical things in particular. So then when I come back, I start and I'm back playing again, I'm going to be even better than what I was that when I, when I got injured. So yeah. I just, so that was, a, that was the silver lining. And that's why every time there's been a setback throughout my whole, throughout my whole career and whole life, because of what mum sort of talked talk to me about was find the silver lining. Sometimes it is just about impossible to find it because the situation is so not good, but there, but there always is. So, and that's the thing that I, I love about life is that there always is a silver lining. There's always a reason why something happened. And even if you think everything's not going well at all, it's amazing how something so, so small can just turn the whole thing around. And because if you've learned from that, you can capitalize on the upside as because you've learned from you know, a time that didn't go that well. Yeah, it's great. Uh, great, great mantras, really, both of them. I just want to backpedal slightly just a touch uh, with your, you and your mum and dad, I guess, uh, focusing on being all in with your cricket, and, and that's good, but also the importance of your education. Like, what, Why do you think it's so important to have that education? Can you just go a bit deeper in there yeah. uh, in, in that sort of uh, thought? Yeah, of course. Like, Even as simple as the education you get, it, it rounds you and your intellect. That's what, that's what I feel. Um, it doesn't mean like, like, yeah, the basics of mass. I probably got the mass that I needed <laughs> that I use now, probably in year seven. Like I've never used like calculus or anything like that. Like unless, unless you become a mathematician or a, whatever it is, I've yeah. never used it since. Like a lot of things I learned at school, I didn't. But the one thing that did do is round me as a person and rounded my, my intellect because it pushed me and challenged me into, into learning things that <laughs> I haven't mm. like, I wish they taught life skills like mental skills and like, um, and financial literacy at school. I wish they taught that cause that would have helped me a lot, but just the rounded education is just rounds you as a person. And if, and I know, and if people just go, you know, I don't need the education. I don't really need it. Well, the, a lot of the, to be honest, there's a number of people who I know who didn't really put that much work in at school, didn't really get a great education. And of course, a lot they can be really successful. There's no doubt. But I've seen some people who it just didn't round them as people. And they just haven't been able to sort of navigate their way around different situations as easily as I've seen people who are more educated um, up, you know, up until a point. 
So that's just an observation. There might be no, there's probably, there's definitely no research or anything behind that, but that's just with my own experience. That's what I've, that's what I've found. So that's why you always, and also you need something to fall back on as an athlete. You need something to fall back on because you get to, I get I, even 22. I got an injury that was, I, if I got an injury that was totally wiped me out, if I did my, like hurt my back or did my knee where I could never run again, if I didn't have an education to be able to pick up, like pick up from, I'm done. What, what I do, I've got to spend the next five years trying to get something an education to be able to you know, work my way into the next phase of my life. So that is also absolutely integral because you know, you never, again, you never know what's around the corner. So you need to be prepared. And that's the easiest way to be prepared is with the education. And I guess also teaching you good life skills as well, having the discipline to work hard, study hard, to work hard, you know, uh, feel the pressure of exams and, and, you know, try and perform under pressure there as well. So yeah, it's, it's, it's good advice. What about, I'm sure you've been so lucky to meet so many great people around the world and are there, who, who are the people, I guess, that have inspired you, whether you've met them or not and, and why? Mm. Yeah, look, there's so many people who do inspire me. There's no, no question. There's so many inspirational people out there across so many levels. <laughs> but probably the two that I'd say that I've um, been fortunate enough to, to meet, uh, one, one in particular was just a, was a very brief meeting, but it was, um, it was very special for me because I'm a massive fan of his music, is, um, is Keith Urban. So I'm, uh, I, I met him um, just you know, briefly at a, just a, a meet and greet uh, in 2006. And I found, and one, I love his music, but two, I just absolutely love his story. He's inspirational because he is a, a country musician who was a country musician in Australia and knew that to be able to break it, to be able to be like to break it, you had to go to Nashville and break it in Nashville because that's the home of country music globally. Yeah. So he just up and left on his own up and left and went to, and went to um, Nashville and school of hard knocks just kept getting beaten and battered down for like 10 years, like around 10 years, a long time that he just is like, nah, kept getting rejected, kept getting rejected. And then just because he persevered for so long and kept evolving and everything like that, then just broke through. And now is obviously one of the you know high selling artists that's in country music that's been around for a long time. So I find that inspiration. I love the stories of just persevering through like following your dreams, have that end like desire to be able to achieve your dream. And no matter what roadblocks come in your way, you just keep finding ways around them. So I find that fascinating. And the other one is um, that's absolutely inspirational to me. And I was so fortunate to be able to get to know him and, and play with him as Glenn McGrath to be able to like, he comes from narrow mind, grew up out in the, out in the bush um, and to be so good, even when his other part of his life was was not not good, like his beautiful wife Jane was like was diagnosed and was going through an incredibly tough time fighting for her life, and to see him continue to be able to, as he went on the field, to be able to put that aside and continue to be at his best, was like even 2007 World Cup, he's man, he's man of the tournament. Mm. And that was a really, really, really tough time for him and his family. But that for me is totally inspirational to be able to think that someone could still be at their peak and be world's best when other things in their life are just too hard to handle really for some people. So difficult that he was able to just, you know, find a way to be able to channel it when he needed to and then deal, it, deal with it as well as you possibly can with that, you know, such a, such a tragic situation. 
So I'd say those two are the ones that really that do stand out amongst <laughs> you know, so many other you know, incredible people that I've that I inspire me, whether I've met them or not. Oh, I can certainly agree with Glenn McGrath as well. What, what a man, what a champion. Well, what I love about Glenn McGrath as well, obviously one of the best players that has ever played the game, but just the humility of the man as well. You know, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't know that, you know, walking down the street, if you met him, you know, he, he's got, he doesn't have a big ego. He just treats everyone well. He, he's just an unbelievable human being. So I totally agree on that one. Oh, I know you love your books as well. And you love learning all the time. You're, you're always looking to improve yourself. So which books have had the biggest impact on you? Okay, a, a couple. Um, one from a business perspective, I got told to read this um, early on as I was starting my business, um, you know, getting into some business stuff. And, and it's called The E-Myth, which is by Michael E. Gerber, which is a fascinating book around um, just defining systems and defining like the reason why businesses are successful and what, and why they are and just put it, it's an amazing story. Like it's in a storyline. Um, it's not just reading sort of like do this, do that, do this. It was, it's intertwined in amongst a, a story um, about a lady who had a pie shop, <laughs> who had a pie shop. So it's a, I find it to be an amazing book. It's helped. It's just put a lot of things into perspective. It was a really good foundation as I'm starting my business sort of life. I found um, open by Andre Agassi to be as an, as an athlete. It's, the most raw and honest autobiography that I've ever read. Like there's not like, I understand that in autobiographies most of the time and I, you're not going to reveal, you're not going to put yourself on the line that like really like honestly and rawly because it's just, yeah, you don't want to, you don't need to, you, well, you don't want to, and there's certain things you need to, you know, you want to just sort of keep private. But I just found Andre Agassi, how open and raw he was. I found it. And it was such a good read. It's like you're sitting there having a conversation with him. It was so well-written. Yep. Um, and the last one is, uh, is outliers by Malcolm Gladwell mm-hmm. found that to be just a fascinating book to be able to just change the thought perspective on what makes people and what, yeah, what makes people successful and why, like all the little things that add up and the, the sort of sliding doors moments that happen all the time and that people have made the most of as well, but that then, then they become an outlier and they stand out. And I, yeah. that was so incredibly well written. And that was just a really thought provoking book. Where I was like, yeah, like, and that had, like, that was reading that book was a re, one of the reasons why I, uh, and I talked to my wife about it. We held my son back um, in, at school. We had the option to be able to either push it, like let him go, um, go through in kindergarten to, to, um, to year one or whether we, we held him back and kept him um, in kindergarten. And because of that book and the research um, made sense. So, you know, and, and the more people you talk to, it seems like it does make decent sense as well um, for certain, for certain people. But you know, that was, you know, one of the reasons. So that was had a huge impact on me as well. Well, what I, Thank you so much for your time you, you've, and for sharing, you know, so honestly and candidly your, uh, your lessons that you've learned along the way. You've had an astonishing uh, career, astonishing journey. Uh, congratulations on your career so far. I know there's still a little bit to go, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been awesome to, to chat about it. Um, just want to wish you, I know you've got a beautiful family as well, but wish you guys all the best for whatever the future may hold post-cricket. But uh, yeah, thank you once again, mate. It's been great. You're a good man, Huss. It's been great to be on the other side of the mic. And, um, you know, your questions that you asked uh, to be able to dig deeper in certain things as well. I, I really do appreciate you doing it because I suppose it's an opportunity for me, for me to be able to get my lessons learned. I definitely, I don't, I don't definitely see myself 
as a great whatsoever, no way in the world. So I don't put myself in that esteem at all, but I suppose it's an opportunity for me to be able to get the lessons I've learned from all of these great players and great people and great coaches to be able to get those out to people who are listening to this podcast. So, um, yeah. I really appreciate you, um, you doing this for me, Huss. No worries, um, mate. And you're selling yourself awesome. short, you. mate. You're definitely, you've definitely been a great, great player. And just, uh, I, I mean, even from my point of view, I, I didn't realise. I mean, I, I watched, but you don't, you know, you don't know exactly what's going on behind the scenes. And just the, all the injury stuff you had to get through, mentally, how you're dealing with stuff. It's just, it's amazing. It's an ama- amazing journey, really, that you've had. Thanks, Huss. For more episodes of Lessons Learned with the Greats, head to t20stars.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.